Yeah, I don't mind either way. I just try to be nice. And I, I like, uh, well, I'm an asshole, so. You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello and welcome to episode 341 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I am Stephen Seagraves, joined by Mr. Seth Miller, uh, who has cooled off like I have. Excellent. We are out of the heat wave, I think, for, for, for now. a little bit. And have to apologize, this is three weeks in a row of just the two of us. We tried three different guests for this week's episode, admittedly, like all an hour before we started recording. But yeah, uh, yeah. they all told us, what are you, crazy? It's a holiday weekend. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> because because yeah, they we're were right, this we were not. <laughs> yeah, people are taking vacations, you know, like normal people. Yeah. Um, and uh, and we have to apologize a little for Seth's audio. You're going to hear cars every now and then. Seth is protesting some New Hampshire something or another, and he's doing it in the street. So <laughs> I'm completely joking. Seth's just sitting on his porch because the weather's nice, and who can blame him? So um, we got some follow-up, some FU from last week. Uh, you went to the United event that announced the new interiors and the... Uh, new plane orders. Yes. Tell us about it. Um, it's pretty nice, uh, is the short answer, right? I mean, I will say one thing we noticed sitting in a hangar at Newark when the outside air temperature was like 95 degrees is that all those screens turned on at full blast without the air conditioning on the plane running because it was in a hangar was really hot. Yeah. <laughs> Which has nothing to do with how it will be you know, in reality on the plane, right? Like normally there's air conditioning on planes that works and stuff. That would be fine. No, it was it was really nice to see the the screens active. I mean, it, it is the newest version of the Panasonic uh, IFE system. It was responsive. It worked nicely. The screens are you know 10 inch HD, really nice. They've got the USB A port right under the bottom of the monitor and headphone jacks. The Bluetooth pairing works, which I shouldn't be so surprised about because you know they've actually installed it on all these planes now. Or two so far and 500 ish more to come but like having seen it demonstrated at trade shows for the past three or four years and how poorly it worked the actual implementation version is really nice yes yeah, so to watch you you talked about that briefly your experiences briefly with the bluetooth on the last show and you said it was subpar and it's it's better I like, was I, very, I just, I, yeah i was very skeptical i mean the they, they did some really interesting things that are specific to an airplane. Like, if you think about it on your phone, if you turn on Bluetooth and you go add new device, then you sit and stare and you watch the, you know, the wheel spin or whatever. And then eventually, like, the phone decides when it wants to refresh and what it wants to show you. Mm-hmm. On the plane, they put a refresh button because, like, maybe you're late getting your button and you hang in a pairing mode. It's also easy to keep tapping the refresh button because it doesn't show up immediately and then, like, never actually seeing your headphones show up to pair because you're not letting it do its full scan. But mm-hmm. being able to, like, pull that screen up and then turn on pairing mode and then hit refresh and control that refresh cycle is pretty cool. It's, it's a very little thing, but it's someone paid attention to how that experience is going to be and thought about it, especially with all the different devices that are going to be on the plane. You can only pair one set of, you know, one set of devices to any particular IFE screen. So if you want, which is normal, right? So, but still like it sort of yours, once you're done, once you're paired, you're no longer in pairing mode. Um, I guess there's sort of a risk that, someone could leave their screen in pairing mode and detect your headphones from a seat or two away and then, like, grab it from you and, like, pair it to their screen instead during that pairing window. That would be a pretty rude thing to do, but I suppose it's possible. But other than that, um, it seems like they put a lot of thought into that feature. So I'm, I'm impressed by that. Uh, and just overall, I mean, mood lighting doesn't do much for me on the planes, but it's there. Uh, the first-class seats are 
are, I mean, the, the seats are basically the same as what's been rolling out for a while. So they're fine. Um, they're not special, but they're fine. It's, they're still, I still had some leg room, even in the worst season economy. The lavatories in the back are still tiny. Um, when two cars go by, I'm sure it's really loud for you guys. Sorry about that. Uh, but no, it's, it, it very, in many ways, it is just sort of a united plane, but the IFE system on board and then also the, the larger overhead bins, I think it's going to be a relatively reasonable, you know, it's it's still, you know, domestic coach or domestic first class, but I think it's a nice version of that. And the what? IFE system, I, I, I think they did a good job with the IFE system. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it sounds like it sounds like it's going to be a nice system to use, like easy, easy to use. It's intuitive. It's fast. Um, but I would say one thing I noticed just from pictures is, yeah, they're using the, the first class seats, uh, that they started installing on the Airbus fleet, um, a while back and have, they've now become like the standard United first class seat with the marble tray table or whatever. Yep. Um, I'm not a huge fan of that seat. Uh, I, I don't, I guess I don't mind the seat. I don't like the tray table and the middle console very much okay. at all. Um, I, say, I think it's what? hard. Yeah, sorry, God. I was gonna say, I, I think it's hard to get in and out of the seat. Uh, for the person in the window, uh, just because of the way it's laid out like that, the little drink holder piece sticks out so much that you have to kind of squeeze yourself around it to get out of, of the seat. And I've just, I've just thought it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, someone's got to be watching this when they fly first class and go, this is not good. Yeah. Well, that's, also maybe, maybe of, that's also a function probably of pitch has been reduced by an inch or two over the years and yep. other things. It's uh that same little drink holder, like the water bottle holder in the center console also now has the screen remote there's actually in first class there's a hand like the little remote control for the screens and it. it's not it's not only a touch screen so that's something that it doesn't take up space or anything it's sort of embedded into the frame but that's if you put a water bottle in there then you can't get to the remote so oh interesting and interesting it, yeah is it is it uh why i'm guessing it's wired so it's kind of like what they had on yeah. long haul flights yeah yeah okay. it's that same one um the, the other thing i'll say in bulkhead rows first class the screens are mounted on the wall economy they're in the armrest so Gotcha. The bulkhead, whatever, row seven or whatever, you know, they call it now, uh, that armrest will not go up on the new planes where it does on today's. And that's, I mean, that's an odd choice, right? Because um, it's it's one of those things where, you know, if it's in the bulkhead wall, right, uh, for a coach, it, I guess, with pitch the way it is nowadays and with the reclining seats, they need some space in, in front of the bulkhead for those seats, I'm guessing. So maybe they just couldn't put it there. I don't know. It's a weird choice to put it in the, the armrest. Yeah, I, I, I think it is interesting. Um, I don't know. I I think the challenge there is probably if you mount it onto the bulkhead because it's a soft bulkhead, the wiring stuff gets to be challenging there. Um, I will say, and this is, I forgot about this, and it's nice to see, and I think it's a difference from the old, old United uh, or Continental 737s to the newer versions today. The bulkhead row, they rate they, they, the the wall doesn't go all the way down, so you can actually use the underseat storage. And I'd forgotten nice. about that. So when I flew out, I was in the bulkhead and was like worried about getting my bag in an overhead. And then got on board, I was like, oh, it does still fit underneath the seat. You know, just a backpack. That is, but like that, that is good to hear. I mean, that's always been one of my. I love the bulkhead row if I can put stuff underneath the seat. If I can't, yeah. it's 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 useless to me. And one of the things that they've done on the Airbus fleet is that they put like some of the emergency equipment underneath there so they don't let you use it which i think is ridiculous but anyway besides yeah i did see that that there's it was there's an oxygen but it's on like the back or on the front of that dividing wall exactly yeah but it was and i think it was on the it must have been on the other side of the aisle on the abc side i was sitting in f yep and i don't know if it blocks the space or not but that was something i saw 
Yeah, yeah, they that and they sometimes have that blue bag. I I think that's when flight attendants want to put their stuff in the overhead, so they move that blue bag that has oh, yeah, you know, seatbelt extenders and stuff like that. So let's let's switch to something a little different, some new topics. Uh, a, a carrier in Alaska uh, is apparently smoking a peace pipe or uh, drinking the water, and there's something funny in it. Raven kind of came out with a weird announcement that they were going to start flying to Asia and the lower 48. So can we start with who Raven is? Yeah, Raven's this like little regional carrier that flies prop planes around Alaska. And went bankrupt in early pandemic era. Um, so new funding, new owners, new CEO, and new challenges with YouTube privacy settings. <laughs> <laughs> the CEO recorded a missive to the staff saying, you know, his weekly update of this is what we're up to these days. And accidentally marked it as public, and it got found by a reporter in Alaska who shared it on Twitter, and then copies were made and transcripts and such. And basically what they said is they want to buy up to 10 757s, add ETOPS and the Boeing certification or the Boeing operations to their certificate, and start flying as a low-cost carrier model with 757s using Anchorage as a hub from Seoul and Tokyo, and then eventually Osaka on the Asia side. And the five cities he picked for the U.S. side to start were Ontario and Oakland, California, Las Vegas, Newark, and Orlando. What do you think? I, I want to know what's in the water. <laughs> Are you saying that because you don't think long-haul LCCs work? Because you think it won't work to Asia? Or just because it's all crazy? Because you're not going to be able to find 757s? One, where are they going to get the 757? That's my question. Are they going to oh, buy that's United? United. That's, that, that's easy. There's tons of them out there. <laughs> really? I thought most well, of the useful ones have gone cargo. Or are going uh, cargo. I mean, you've got all the PS ones that are probably that aren't yet scrapped and haven't been sold. So for the right price, I'm sure United would sell them. But aren't those the shitty engines? They are, but does it really matter for Raven? Well, you've got to be able to do, I think, 3,900 miles. I, th- I think they can. Those can because Delta was doing 3,900 miles with the Pratt and Whitney engines. So they're capable of doing it. They just need to get the ETOPS certification. I, I wasn't sure. I thought there was a range issue. Yeah, yeah. Anchorage to Orlando was 3,800 miles. So yeah, the westbound on that will be tough. Remember, the old TWA ones were Pratt and Whitney engines. They weren't Rolls Royce engines, and Delta was using them to go as far as Frankfurt. Frankfurt? Hmm. Really? So they were doing JFK Frankfurt on the TWA birds, yeah. I wonder, I mean, okay, so you can, so they can get 757s. Let's just say they can't. And DHL or FedEx or UPS doesn't want them, which would surprise me because they seem to, to buy these things up in bulk whenever they can find them. Um, so, okay, they can get the 757s. You're telling me there's enough demand from Tokyo, Seoul, and Osaka to Anchorage or somewhere on the West Coast. To, to make this well, work? I, I don't know. I think there's there's always, in those markets, there's space for a low-cost carrier. Yeah. Right? So th- that would be one thing. But I think, you know, my the first question that I had when I saw this was, will Raven even know what to do when they have to clear people through security? Because <laughs> one of the neat, nifty things about flying Raven was there's no TSA. Because it's, it's almost a charter carrier? Yeah, they're, they're so small, they don't need TSA. The flights are so small. And literally, when I um, did my Alaska milk run, we had to literally go out of security to go into the insecure area for Raven. <laughs> yeah, there's a special TSA. Sorry, TSA has a rule that says small enough planes don't need security, which is how, like, a number of the, was it? Uh, Cape Air. They're out of business. Out. Well, no, Cape, well, Cape Air stays inside security because they all connect. It was the one that did Portland to Seattle. 
back in the like a couple of years ago, they were outside security and it was like super efficient and whatever. It was a twelve seater plane, like twenty seater plane. Boutique Air. There was someone before them who did it, but yeah. Oh. Anyway, um, Port Port Air, something like that. Seaport. Yeah. Seaport. Yeah. Seaport. Yeah. God, I don't remember how I pulled that out of. Anyway, um, but they didn't have security, and then they realized that people actually wanted to connect, and so they moved. They chose to move inside security. Raven and the rules in Alaska, if I remember correctly, actually allow even bigger planes to be outside of security because it's Alaska, and <laughs> the planes can't get to the planes can't get to the lower forty-eight and crash into any buildings, so no one's going to care. Um, and so, yeah, but that so that rule exists, and so that's why they stay outside security there. So, yes, will it, Foz makes a good point. Will they figure out how to process people through TSA? One of myriad challenges uh, <laughs> coming along here. It's on the one hand, like I do respect, I sort of understand Foz's point that there's plenty of demand for that, right? Like Zip Air is uh, JAL's new low cost carrier, but they're doing 787s from Tokyo to the US. And Honolulu was first. They did Seoul and Bangkok also. But Honolulu was going to be first, and then they were going to do, I think, the mainland, then probably L.A. and San Francisco. And Oakland and Ontario represent San Francisco and L.A. for this new Raven plan. Um, you know, I, just because no good long-haul LCC has ever really succeeded doesn't mean one can't now. <laughs> uh, I mean, LC, like if you look at the last 10 years, right, LCCs have thrived. Yeah, uh, but, and, but not long-haul ones. Well, not long haul ones. You know, initially, short haul ones didn't survive either. True, right? So, hey, right. Know, so just, the question is, what's different? And there's a time when the majors, you know, the traditional carriers have upped their fare substantially. It is actually ripe, a ripe opportunity. Yeah, I feel. I feel like. I feel like. Uh, I feel like Foz just wants this to be a reality so he can get the lines. No, he didn't <laughs> say I would fly it. <laughs> Let's be real. But, you know, to your other point about 757s getting picked up by the cargo carriers, I, I wonder how much of that was driven by the lack of 767s available mm, uh, secondhand. Yeah, true. Yeah. Right? And we have a dearth of 76s available now. True. Right? From a cargo carrier operation, you probably want a 76 more than a 75 because you can do more container. Containers. Yeah. On both decks. Yeah. Easy. Um, bigger, bigger containers. I think they, they do containerized when they convert them to the seven fives to cargo, don't they? Up they, top they, they do, but not below. I think, or maybe they do. There's got to be a way. That'd be nuts. But yeah, anyway, it, better container certainly. Um, so so anyway, it, it's it's going to be interesting you, to what, see. Yeah. What do you think that that like the likelihood? So I mean, did they in the announcement did they say what they were going to do first, like domestic or international? No, they, I mean what, they're going to set up and do it. They want to. The plan is to be a connection hub. They don't really plan on many people getting out of Anchorage. Hmm. Interesting. That's cool. I mean, you, yeah, one of the things I would say is just looking sort of at their route map and whatever. It, in some ways, it is very similar to Iceland Air and Keflavik, Reykjavik, right? Like, the flights all come to the main hub and then redisperse back out on the other side. I think the main difference that I could see when looking at it is that Iceland Air can use one plane and have it do sort of the full round trip from continental Europe via Iceland to the U.S. and all the way back in the same 24-hour window. These the stage length is longer because the eastbound from Anchorage to the lower 48, those will be much longer segments than most of what Iceland Air was flying from Reykjavik to the continental or to the mainland Europe. So it does have a sort of operational efficiency loss there. But if the planes are cheap enough, that might not matter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of a, a random topic on the topic of low cost carriers, something I just kind of pulled out. Uh, Allegiant had a, a major meltdown. Not Allegiant, sorry, Sun Country had a major Sun Country. Meltdown. One uh, of their suppliers it, had a major meltdown. Yes, and it it looked Minneapolis St. Paul looked like a war zone. 
like it's this is like one of the busiest travel days in years right we're recording this very early we're recording this Thursday of last week so fine but like it was the going into the holiday weekend Sun Country the very leisure focused seasonal carrier but was like ramping up massive for the holiday and all those people are screwed now yeah, stranded or unable to make it to where they're going Yeah, uh, in, a, and in a timely fashion. And what's really hard is there's not going to be any spare seats anywhere else. Like, how do you recover from this if you're the airline? Especially with no interline. But even if you had the interline policies, like, American is saying something like 90-plus percent load factors expected this weekend. Well, if it's some country. I imagine Delta and United are similar. Yeah, if you, but it's, if it's some country, you just leave your passengers. They've done that before. Right. Yeah, Mexico, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I guess the question that I like, you know, what's going on, right? We you know, we have this incident with some countries. Southwest has had a couple of weekends where they've had massive outages as well, um, and I think America, the other airlines, Ameri- are suffering. Yeah, American hasn't had outages, but they've had crew issues. JetBlue is actually worried about crew staffing levels right now for the next month or so, to the point that they are offering like positive space and other bonuses for flight attendants who don't call out sick. Wow. But so the um, question is, all these staff members are getting paid. Why aren't they showing up to work? So not all of them, not all of them stayed, even though the right the PPP money or not the CARES Act was was gave the airlines enough money to keep paying them. But the airlines still used it as an opportunity to offer buyouts and get people off the rolls. Correct. So that happened. So there are fewer people. Not and with other than United, I think of the U.S. carriers, not all, all the pilots stayed current. And I would imagine that there's a similar issue with flight attendants, although the flight attendant uh, training to become current again is easier and faster. They still got to do it. And so I think part of the challenge there is that the airlines didn't, even though they were paying everybody, they didn't keep them all current. And part of the, right, you got to fly to stay current. So in some ways you can't keep everybody current, but they were not necessarily running training classes, not necessarily running all the systems through. And so there aren't as many employees ready to work right now. Right, but there's two two aspects to this, right? First, and I understand that, but we're still not anywhere near the capacity we were pre-pandemic. So we're still at probably about 60%, 70% of the capacity we were, if that high. And uh, It's higher than that. Uh, okay, I mean, but I still don't think we're, I, I, maybe, I don't know, maybe on the regional side I would agree, but on mainline, definitely not. There's a lot more regional than there is mainline proportionally. But how are you, how are we going to define capacity and recovery? I think one of the interesting things is it just total seats, passenger numbers. Yeah, passenger numbers. So I'd say we're like probably seventy. We're well north of seventy five percent on average for TSA screening. Okay. At but, this point, <laughs> we're not well north, but we're right around. So, so that's. Then, but then subtract the number, the growth that uh, Spirit Frontier have seen because they've seen an Allegiant because they've seen a huge growth in this time. Fair. Right, and then so at the traditional airlines, the majors, the you know the top five, yeah, the big four, they're probably at somewhere sixty-five to seventy percent. Right, they're, yeah. When you look at United, they're still not running a lot of the flights they did. Most of their frequencies are half, if not less, mm-hmm. of what they used to run. So, and while I understand that they did trim staff, I don't think they trim staff to that extent. But the other thing is, these people didn't buy all these tickets overnight. Right, yeah, the airlines it, sold these tickets months ago and knew that this was coming. Yeah, this is like this is a self-inflicted problem. Mm. Yes, absolutely. An American is sort of the poster child for that with having to cancel a bunch of services now and cut back because of shortages. But absolutely. Definitely a cell phone game. But I'm, uh, what I guess I don't know is, was there a way to avoid it? Like, how did they think more people would come back faster? Did they think they'd be able to train more people faster? Like, that's the part where I would be curious to find out what the airlines are really thinking. Yeah, I mean, there's still some variables, but I mean, this isn't something that 
the airlines probably hold some responsibility or thinking they could probably run lean and not really accounting for enough sick outs or irregular operations, right? We're in the peak of thunderstorm season. Yeah. Um, not to change topics, but I also want to talk about open skies and some of that changing, right? So Qatar and the EU uh, have come to an agreement. Yeah. Uh, somewhat surprising to me, but the European Union and the state of Qatar, Qatar, uh, have agreed to generally open skies, uh, no limit on frequencies between Doha and any European Union member state for passenger service. Uh, cargo, there's a limit of some countries are allowed to have, I think they're allowed to cap it at seven frequencies from the European to, uh, from the EU to like a third party country, like from Frankfurt to the US or something like that, they can cap it. But other than that, it's pretty, it's pretty wide open. Hmm. I mean, this is incredible, right? Because like specifically Emirates has fought to fly to part, you know, cities in Germany that haven't been allowed previously. Um, and, and it sounds like Qatar's getting <laughs> that opportunity. Actually getting it. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess it's a win for, uh, Al Baker, yeah, the boss, boss chief. Sorry, just by chief. He did he did pretty well on this one. It's uh, I, I remain somewhat surprised that they pulled this off. Um, and that the EU countries negotiating this all decided it was a it was the right choice. Um, I'm pulling up the the thing here again uh, to make sure I got the details on uh what's actually permitted. So. Fifth freedom rights for all cargo services between the Union and beyond points provided that the exercise of fifth freedom rights does not exceed seven weekly frequencies per EU member state. Mm, okay. Um, and I will say the reading it again, uh, I don't believe it permits for unlimited fifth freedom passenger service. It does not permit fifth freedom passenger service for uh, either side. So his, which means uh, fifth freedom would be uh, Doha to Frankfurt or Doha to Athens to Newark, right? There's the Emirates version of it. They fly from Dubai in theory. Um, and they did a Milan to JFK flight for a while as well. Uh, that is not permitted under mm-hmm. this, uh, as best I can tell, which oftentimes open skies does include the freedom service permissions. So maybe that limit was enough for the EU to be happy. <laughs> yeah. It's a, that's an odd criteria. <laughs> well, I, I guess they're less worried about Qatar siphoning off, Qatar Airways siphoning off uh, traffic to Asia or to Africa than they are to the United States. Yeah. Or North America, which is still, especially for uh, the European carriers, still a lot of their business. Yep. Yep. Um, And on top of this, Europe is uh, getting a couple of new carriers with two new airlines started last week. Goofy names, I will say. Uh, Play is the Icelandic replacement for WoW, but it's not the remnants of WoW, because the crazy lady bought those. Um, and that's basically gone to die. But the original, a bunch of original executives from Play uh, went back to the drawing board with their A321 plans and have started service from Iceland to, I think it's Luton, London, mm-hmm. was their first destination. Uh, and eventually plan to, like, you know, again, bring the 321 to the United States and make that work. They're waiting for, you know, the travel rules to loosen up again, which as a small aside, IATA is pissed and is trying to bully. They're at mentioning the president of the United States on Twitter now and explicitly calling him out for not opening up traffic to European visitors. And I find that amusing. Uh, <laughs> like 
I don't know. I, I feel like maybe the last time around it would have been, you know, a couple years ago, that might have been the way to get the attention of the president, but possibly not today. Um, but anyways, uh, so play is one of them. And then Norwegian flyer, F-L-Y-R. Uh, and so I have a certain affinity for an airline that likes to misspell their name, much like I misspell my blog names. Uh, <laughs> but they're sort of doing a take on the old Norwegian model of flying mostly domestic Norway stuff right now and presumably will expand to leisure destinations within Europe. Uh, very soon, as things start, again, as soon as things start to reopen. Hmm. Um, what are they? What are they using as their metal? Um, I don't remember. I'd have to assume it's either seven thirty-seven or three twenty-one. Yeah. And my quick effort to find them while we're talking about here. Uh, it's seven thirty-seven. Yeah. Seven, okay. Seven, yeah. Two planes so far. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, their call sign is Fox Green Star. <laughs> I like their livery. It's actually, it's actually not bad. All right. Can I get a picture? No, I did not get a picture when I unlike click. Oh, well. Um, oh, no, that is nice. Yeah, it's it's not bad. I mean, it's Euro white, but it's got a big big letters on the front. Nice greenish tail. Yep. Probably supposed to evoke the Northern Lights a little bit. They could, they could, they, you know, you know who could take a, a page out of their book? United. Oh. <laughs> Just you like the tail. <laughs> I, yeah, oh, I like. Yeah, it's lazy. I've talked about Come that on. before on the show. United, United would just throw in some purple at this point. <laughs> I gotta say, I trying to take pictures of the blue on blue on blue when I was at the event the other day, especially with all the LED blue backlighting they threw at it. Contrast was very hard to make happen on a camera. <laughs> they they weren't thinking about that when they uh, they designed the livery. I'm guessing no, because they do all you know, their shots with white lights around, but then they like put us in a hangar, and made it like dark and moody. It was. You could really shorten your statement that they just weren't thinking. <laughs> Ouch. Um, so in airline resurrection news, uh, the Lazarus of airlines is uh, Jet Airways, apparently. I still I, – so A, I am shocked. But B, uh, a couple guys have managed to come together and put up a couple hundred million dollars to bring Jet out of uh, bankruptcy. They've agreed to – some interesting decisions that were required, obviously, by the Indian government. Um, one of them is that there's about 5,000 passengers that have tickets that weren't refunded. And this uh, went from when it went out of business. The new guys have agreed that they will refund those tickets. Wow. Um, and it's up to a limit. Um, and it's what's it, up to $200 per ticket. Uh, they cap it at that. But so it's, I guess when you think of it that way, that's what, $100,000? So in the grand scheme of all of the debts and how many millions of dollars are involved in this, that's probably not so much. Um, but, you know, nice nod for the passengers. One of the biggest challenges right now is, from what I can tell, uh, they don't get any of their old slots back. <laughs> and especially in some of the busier Indian airports, that's going to be a limiting factor. What about what about planes? Do they get the fleet? So, the vast majority of the fleet was leased, and all the lessors took their planes back when Jet stopped paying for them. There are a handful of 777s and A330s that I believe are owned, um, and maybe some ATRs. Will they lease the planes back to Turkish? <laughs> hmm. um, what do they got here? Uh, let see if I can get some details on what they still own. It's uh, Maybe they own a couple 737s also? Mm. I mean, you got to think about it this way. These guys, were they hate Air India enough to dig into their pockets to bring back Jet. <laughs> You've actually pretty much defined every Indian, including the ones that work for India, Air India. 
Yeah. <laughs> True fact. Um, I also, I will say, like, they're, they're actually non-resident Indians, so they don't live in India. <laughs> so they really hate Air India. Um, the, the main guy actually is based in Dubai and is bringing some of his money back to do this. So it's that's, I find that very amusing. I, so I, I'm thinking about this. Air India or Jet had a partnership at one point with Delta, right? Delta KLM Air France, yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if that'll come back. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Delta would love that. Um, they, moved, the- they actually moved their hub from Brussels to they, – they sort of operated a bunch of flights via Brussels to the United States – and they moved that to Amsterdam right at the end before they collapsed, trying to get some of the better feed from the partners there. Yeah. So I'm sure Delta will love that because they can feed India via Amsterdam, which would be great. More than you know, KLM. You're assuming, that these guys, you're assuming these guys are going to show back up and do long-haul flying right away, which... Hey, I got hopes, man. I got hopes. Well, the Indian laws have relaxed a little bit, but they still have strict limits on... Uh, number of aircraft in operation. Like, you have to prove yourself as a domestic airline before you fly internationally, which was obviously designed to protect Air India. But now that Vistara and... Who's the other one? SpiceJet um, have both started flying internationally. Vistara with their own planes and SpiceJet with wet leases. Or keeps trying to do it with wet leases. Uh, it does present some interesting... It's, it's, it's a different uh, competitive landscape now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um... The slots thing is going to be the most interesting to watch. Like, yeah, if they can actually get them back, if they can get anything back, yeah, yeah. Let, let's. I mean, since since Jet's back, we have to talk a little bit about death. Um, Bolt Bus it, it is no more, which is kind of wild. Uh, Bolt Bus was a low cost uh, bus service. I, I believe you guys had them on the East Coast, right? We we had them out here. Yeah, we had them. In, I think they started in New York area. Yeah, so we they, they used it, to. It was originally like the Chinatown bus competitor. Yeah, yeah, it's a it was a low cost bus with Wi Fi and you know cheap, super cheap tickets. You could get like if you booked it in advance, you could get seven dollars or something for a one way. Um, and so I have a it, theory on this. Okay, sorry, I'm gonna interrupt you there, but I think they did this to to try to run just long enough that people wouldn't know who the real owner was and remove the stigma associated with that. Mm. It's Greyhound because yeah, it's Greyhound. It was was running the bus service. It's it was just a subsidiary of Greyhound. And so I think the idea was to get enough people, try to run long enough that people wouldn't remember what Greyhound was or that it has the, you know, whatever its history and stigma was, which for me growing up was always not great. Um, if they could have lasted long enough, then, you know, they could have gotten past that. But now they're rolling it all back into Greyhound because Greyhound has Wi-Fi and power outlets, too. Yeah. So it makes you it makes you wonder. I mean, are they still going to run it as a low cost service? Right. I mean, that was the big thing is that it was so cheap, especially from here to like Seattle. It was. Super Greyhound's cheap. always been cheap too. Okay, I mean that's the reality, right? They they used to add single digit advertise single digit fares when they advertised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think if anything, you know, maybe they've sort of started yield management and revenue management. It'll be the sort of cheap if you buy in advance, more expensive closer to the day up kind of thing that you know smart companies try to do these days. And who knows? I mean, whatever. It's I don't I don't I don't remember Greyhound being super expensive. I guess is the other part. Yeah. True, but it, it wasn't a dot. You know, you weren't buying dollar tickets, but there was. I also don't think the dollar tickets were all that prevalent on Bolt Bus. I got a couple back in the day, but I don't think they stuck around for long. Yeah, the other ones with Metro Bus, or there's one more. Uh, there's Bolt, and there was well, there's Flix. Yeah, but the blue one with the yellow lettering. Yeah, uh, Megabus. 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 Yeah. Yeah, and Flix actually restarted, stopped in Germany, but restarted. I think restarted in the U.S. Do I get that right? I know they started know. out west. Um, According to the, the article you shared with us, um, 
about them shutting down in the U.S. But uh, no, maybe Postbox is back. Is back. Um, yeah, Mega- no, they're back in Germany. But never mind. Because Bolt Bus was owned by Greyhound, Mega Bus was Coach USA. If I remember. Okay. Don't know who owns Flix. But yeah, it was it just was a, a, new, it was a new German company. Yeah, so it was just a spin on you know the boat in both both Mega Bus and Bolt were just a marketing spin for lack of a better Millennial millennial marketing. Hey, they fell for it. Bright hey, colors. But can we debate why Greyhound didn't call it Hound? <laughs> rar? I guess it would be a howl, not a rar, but. <laughs> I know! Yeah, mic drop. Yeah. Uh, Constance, I'm Constancing that one. It's not going to get any better from here, folks. Co Unihound? Yeah. Um, so, we're going to talk about a couple of topics, bonus topics. We're going to talk about some United pre ordering stuff for food and drink, and then we're going to talk about Air Canada and DOT uh, issues. Uh, in the bonus episode, if you're a Patreon subscriber, stick around. You'll hear that. If you're not a, a subscriber, you can subscribe on Patreon and get this bonus content. Uh, if not, if you don't feel like that, that's fine. Leave us a message. Tweet us. We, we'd like to hear from our listeners. Um, but until next time, happy travels and bye-bye. Take care. Later.